everyone. Today we'll be covering Ephesians chapter 4. So verse 1, it says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And I was thinking, what is that calling to which we have been called? In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21, it says, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. We're not called to be competent or productive, but we're called to follow the example of Jesus. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Reading Ephesians 4, we see that this plays out. It's all about relationships and how we are with people. Are we going to submit and deny our base desires for selfishness and self-assertion and preservation in order to walk in a manner that is worthy of what Jesus has done and left us an example to follow. It's like you received the gospel, we all have received the gospel, and now are we going to live up to it? So what is that worthy standard? In verse two, it tells us, which is to walk in all humility and gentleness with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain unity. It's not an easy thing to do, and it's nearly impossible because we're sinners, but for the promise that God gives us grace in verse 7. So I want to take a look at those Christian virtues, humility, gentleness, patience, and love in verse 2, and kind of take a look closer at each one of those. Humility is distinctly a Christian virtue, and the understanding at that time was actually that to be humble was not good. It's like to be servile, to be servant. How do we become humble? It's to see ourselves and is to have the self-awareness of who we truly are. It's by setting life beside the life of Christ and in light of the demands of God. In other words, Christ is our standard. It is also to see our own mortality and our smallness in light of the Creator God's greatness and grandness. So we have to ask, what is it that we compare ourselves to? We must compare ourselves against the standard of Christ. And when we do so, we will see that there's actually no room for pride. The second word is gentleness. It's also described as meekness. And the Greek word, one way of saying it, is that it's the midpoint between being too angry and never being angry at all. And the person who is meek is always angry at the right time and never angry at the wrong time. The person who is meek is somebody that is, as it's been said, stirred by indignation at the wrongs and the suffering of others, never moved to anger by any personal wrongs and insults. It's very challenging. It's a picture of an animal that is completely under control where every instinct and every passion is under perfect control. And for us, it's when we are under God's control. And now you might be thinking, wow, this seems really difficult. It's not possible actually for us to be that entirely self-controlled. It's something that's beyond human power. So we need to gain our strength through Christ. The third quality is patience or long suffering. It's something that persists to the end. It's been said, Christian patience is the spirit which never admits defeat which will not be broken by any misfortune or suffering, by any disappointment or discouragement, but which persists to the end. The spirit of patience is the spirit which bears insult and injury without bitterness and without complaint. It's the spirit which can suffer unpleasant people with graciousness and fools without irritation. And God in the New Testament is repeatedly described by this word, patience. And we can see that, man, if God was like us, we would basically just wipe out the entire earth. And so what does it mean to walk? In a manner worthy of the calling, there's that aspect of patience. We have to be patient towards our neighbors with the patience which God has also shown to us. Finally, love. This is agape here, sometimes translated as charity. And the meaning is unconquerable benevolence. What is that? 
if we love people with agape love, nothing that they can do will ever make us seek anything but their highest good. Even if someone hurts you or insults you, you're never going to feel anything but kindness toward them. And so we could see that, man, that's not an emotional thing. It's something that's also of the will. And the ability to retain this kind of goodwill towards the unlovely and the unlovable, towards those who basically don't even love you, even toward those whom you do not like. To have that kind of love is what Paul is calling us to here. And to sum it up here, I think to seek nothing but the highest good for everyone. That is someone who is able to bear with others who are unlovable in love. Again, this is all in the context of being eager to maintain the unity of the church. And these four qualities, humility, gentleness, patience, and love, it leads to a fifth, peace. And it's that peace in the rightness of relationships with one another. And so how are we going to do this? I think it really depends on the death to our own egos, the death to our own pride, the death or obliteration of self. And as long as ourselves are in the center, that kind of oneness or the unity of spirit in the bond of peace as it says in verse 3, cannot happen, cannot exist. When the self dies, Christ comes to life in us, and then comes peace and true oneness. And that's what the church should be about. So the theme of unity and oneness really stood out to us this time around. In verse 4, it says, There is one body, one spirit, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, over all, through all, and in all. God gives us grace to do this, and God also gives us help. In verse 11, God gave us apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers basically to equip the saints, build up the body, so that what? So that we can attain to the unity of the faith. So again, this theme of unity appears. That is the end goal. And when the church is united, we will together reflect the fullness of Christ. And when there is unity, there is vitality, there is life, there is fullness. The point is that without God, it is not possible. When Christian sees this vision that God has for a new community, a new humanity in Christ, and commit to trusting in these words, keep on working on and investing in relationships, even though it's hard day to day, requires working through conflicts and disagreements, working through tensions and frictions, yet in the end, remain tenderhearted, kind, forgiving, as it says in verse 32, and united in the bond of peace. And this bond is made possible because Jesus brought us peace through, through the cross. Then people who are not in the church, when they see this kind of community, they are in wonder. How is this kind of covenantal relationship be possible? How can people be, be united and set aside their own preferences, ego, pride, grievances? It must require something beyond human abilities. And I think that is why the church is able to display the manifold wisdom of God. So what does it take to achieve unity? Verse 15 talks about speaking the truth in love. Verse 25 says, put away falsehood. Let each one of you speak truth to his neighbor. Truth plays a vital role in the health of relationships. But speaking the truth can be risky, perilous. You don't know how the other person might take it. You don't know what turn the relationship can take or will take. But then it also says this is the way the body can grow up in every way into him, healthy, held together, working properly. A body cannot work properly without blood flowing through every part. The part of the body where the blood doesn't flow to is dead. And perhaps this is a metaphor for the function of truth in the body of Christ. Truth needs to flow and reach all parts, else the church body is not functioning properly, not growing or getting stronger. In verse 22 to 23, it talks about how we ought to put off our old self and put on the new self. It's an active thing that we choose to do. I'm going to stop doing something and start behaving in a new way. 
but it is more than negation, nor does it happen by itself without any effort. Verse 26 talks about being angry and do not sin, not let the sun go down on your anger. We're not just to not do the opposite and not be angry, not lash out, not retaliate. We need to move towards that person or incident that made us angry in the first place in a timely fashion, not brush it aside and pretend nothing happened, and not to let it carry over or drag on. Verse 28 says, Let the thief no longer steal. Rather, let him labor, do honest work with his own hands that may have something to share with anyone in need. The thief is not to just stop stealing, but actually to undergo a heart change that leads this person to actually want to work, not just for himself, but to meet the needs of others. It's not just about stop harming people, but actually doing good to them. In verse 29, it says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but what builds up as it fits the occasion that gives grace to those who hear. Again, it's going above and beyond, not just no corrupting talk, but speak to build up, proportioned, fitting, and benefiting others. So verse 29, that was a verse that stood out to me, because what we choose to say and how we say it actually does matter a lot, and it takes a lot of care. Corrupting talk, you know, I think it would be talk that erodes relationship, trust, affection, spirit of oneness, and it could be just comments. Grumbling, complaining, venting, gossip. These are things that over time can erode relationships. In Proverbs 29.11, it says, A fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. And the wise man is one who considers the effect of his words. And so that's not to say that we shouldn't have any kind of opportunity to give feedback. No, actually at the right time, feedback is essential in order for the church to be built up properly. As it says, as fits the occasion. That's wisdom. Finally, in verse 31, it says, Let all bitterness and wrath, anger, clamor, slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. So it's not just about putting away the things that tear down relationships, such as all that was listed, but that we ought to engage in things that actually build up relationships, be kind and tender-hearted, forgiving one another. God's vision of humanity, this new humanity, is so much grander and higher. It is a new way of relating that requires us to trust Him and live out His prescription of how life together ought to be like. And when it gets hard, and it will because we're sinners, God gives us the example of Christ for love, motivation, and inspiration.